Hi, it's Mariella, and this week I want to talk to you about dopamine, also known as the happy hormone. Hi, I'm Mariella. Welcome to Productive Introvert Community. I support introverted solopreneurs in developing healthy habits so that they have the energy to work on their goals without daily routines that feel forced or that only last two weeks. This episode is especially for Clickscope Bro 97 and MonksMag7293, who wanted to know more about this topic. Thank you for voting in the poll. I hope this is helpful to you and maybe it will be helpful to someone else listening to this as well. Why are we talking about dopamine today? I feel that there is a bit of confusion about this topic. Maybe you're wondering, what does dopamine even do? How does it make you happy? Can I increase my dopamine? Is too much dopamine bad for you? It's really normal to be confused about this topic. If you search online about dopamine and how it influences us, you might find things describing how dopamine makes you happy, how you can hack dopamine to be more disciplined and motivated, and how you can boost dopamine to be happier. But you may also find resources that say that we're addicted to dopamine, that instant gratification is ruining our lives, and that you should go on a dopamine detox or a dopamine fast and delay gratification. So yeah, if you're confused about this topic, you are not alone. There are a lot of examples where we are told to fight dopamine and the brain in general. Motivation, discipline is usually approached as a fight on the road to success. Do the hard things because you'll be happy you did later, even if it makes you miserable right now. There are less examples of how to work with your brain instead of fighting it and becoming successful that way. And that's because initially it's harder to figure out, but once you do, it's a lot easier to make it sustainable. For me personally, I used to be pretty confused about this also. I always wondered, am I disciplined or am I lazy? And one thing that I struggled with um, for, for years um, was my morning routine. When I was working in an office and traveled there by train, I had a pretty strict morning routine. Um, I saw all these messages about being disciplined and getting up at 5 a.m. if you wanted to be successful. For a while, I did everything in my power to be that disciplined person. I took a subscription to the 5 a.m. club. I got up at 5, um, did yoga for an hour, packed my lunch, and then went off to the office by seven, sort of, uh, and had breakfast on the way. This was before I had kids. People also told me that I was disciplined. And whenever I heard that, I was equal parts surprised and proud of, of, of being perceived in that way. But then my routine would slip. Like 5 a.m. became 7 a.m. and then 9 a.m. and then 7 a.m. again. I was like, what's going on? Am I disciplined or am I lazy? What, what, what is this? Thinking back, I was in a way limiting myself by this very narrow idea of what discipline was. In my mind, there were two options. You either belong to the 5 a.m. club and you were disciplined enough to be successful or you didn't and you were lazy and destined for failure. Discipline to me at the time meant doing the same thing every single day like clockwork. And the moment that my routine would slip, 
I immediately felt I was slipping back into old ways, being that lazy person who would rather lie under the couch with a blanket over my head, letting the world pass me by. Even though I studied the brain for a couple of years, or at least some parts of it, when I was working as a research scientist, it was still hard for me to, to translate that knowledge into my everyday life. All my friends also had issues with this. But then when I looked at examples of people who I admired or people online, um, they all talked about that 5 a.m. routine and, and pushing through the pain and being disciplined and, and doing it afraid. And I was on that couch thinking, what is wrong with me? I now understand that I was fighting my brain all the time, trying to stay disciplined in that way and using up all my energy to stick to that 5 a.m. morning routine. Now I understand much better how to actually bring those concepts into my everyday and that I don't actually need to fight my brain and my biological wiring, but I can find ways to work with it. This is what I now like to call natural discipline. And it's one of the things that I work on with my clients, my coaching clients as well. It took me quite some time to let go of some of the assumptions that I had about motivation and about discipline. Um, things like if I didn't get up at 5 a.m. every day, um, that I was lazy and undisciplined. Or if I hung out on the couch for one day, I didn't accomplish anything right for the whole week and basically would erase everything I'd done that week and I essentially messed up the trajectory of my life forever. I know this sounds dramatic but you know the inner critic can be dramatic and a lot of the introverts that I work with have a very strong inner critic that can get very aggressive at times and that's another thing that we work on in, in my coaching program. What does this have to do with dopamine? Just like that question I kept asking myself, am I disciplined or am I lazy? Reality is much more nuanced. And the same is true for dopamine. Dopamine isn't the solve all happy hormone, but it's also not the instant addiction trap uh, that it's made out to be. I wanna demystify this a little bit for you today to help you better understand how the brain works and how you can stop fighting and instead start working with your natural processes more. So calling dopamine the happy hormone is a bit misleading and I'm going to tell you why. There are two sides to this. One is what is dopamine and what does it have to do with happiness? And two is what do we humans actually need to be happy? Let's start with one. What is dopamine? Dopamine is a small molecule in the brain. Its main function is a neurotransmitter. Neurotransmitters are messages that are sent between the cells of the brain, allowing the cells of the brain to talk to each other. The cells in the brain are called neurons. So that's where the name uh, neurotransmitter comes from. Neural plus transmits. But what do you mean neurotransmitter though? I thought it was a hormone. This is where the confusion begins, but don't worry, we're gonna walk through it. Dopamine is indeed also a hormone. The terms neurotransmitter and hormone have to do with where in the body dopamine is doing its job. So if dopamine is acting in the brain, it's called a neurotransmitter. But dopamine can also go into the bloodstream and travel to other parts of the body. Dopamine is also found in the eyes, the heart, the pancreas, for example. So the hormone dopamine and the neurotransmitter dopamine are the same thing. 
Dopamine's role in happiness happens mostly in the brain. So when we're talking about the happy hormone, dopamine is acting as a neurotransmitter in the brain. If you're wondering why, why is it then called a happy hormone? The only reason I can think of is that happy hormone is catcher than happy neurotransmitter. You know, because it's just catcher. I'm just mentioning this to show you that information that's put out there might be phrased that way because it's catchy and not necessarily because it's accurate. And there's nothing wrong with this per se, but just be aware of that and don't let people confuse you with things like that. What does dopamine have to do with happiness? When dopamine is released in the brain, it signals pleasure. Dopamine, dopamine, dopamine? Dopamine triggers a quick boost in feeling pleasure and that signals to the brain, this is good, do more of this. In this way, feeling pleasure is a reward when we do a particular thing, which is why this uh, process is called the brain's reward system. Dopamine does other things in the body as well. For example, it plays a role in sleep and movement, just to name two, there are many, many more. Um, and there are also other neurotransmitters that are involved in the reward system. But dopamine is at the heart of how we react to things like pleasure, discipline, reward, and motivation. But like I said, the reality of it is more, <laughs> sorry, I was just checking. But like I said, the reality of it is more nuanced. This reward system and the brain in, in general focuses on making sure that our physical bodies survive. It's really mostly about short-term survival. It's a survive today, figure it out tomorrow type thing. So keep that in mind when you hear about dopamine and the brain's reward system. What's seen as good in this case is to survive right now. We're not talking about long-term health. We're not talking about morally good or bad. It's about making sure that our physical needs are met. And those revolve around food, safety, sex, and social interactions. Our reward system is activated and dopamine is released. For example, when we're having a conversation with someone, when you're having sex with someone, or when you're eating delicious food. Studies have shown that foods that have a lot of sugar or fats release more dopamine than foods that have less sugar and fat. This makes a lot of sense when you think about it. The goal of the reward system is immediate survival. So things that theoretically would give us a higher chance to survive right now release more dopamine and they make us feel good. It's actually really clever because you know, if survival is good, make it feel good too. The problem is that our brain's reward system was built when a lot of these things were very scarce. For example, foods with lots of sugar were much more rare in the past. We can't really imagine it today, but we used to only have access to sugar from fruits and honey until refined sugar became mass produced in the late 1800s. And I know that sounds like a long time ago, <laughs> but it really isn't if you think of the scale. So that happened around 200 years ago and modern humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years. Another important thing to realize is that the brain's reward system is less like a switch and more like a seesaw. 
The way that Dr. Anna Lemke explained it on the podcast, All in the Mind, really helped me to understand this. I'll link to that podcast in the description. She is a psychologist from Stanford University who studies dopamine and addiction. As Dr. Lemke explains, the part of the brain that processes pleasure also processes pain, and they work like opposite sides of a seesaw. When we experience pleasure, the seesaw tips one way, and when we experience pain, it tips the other way. But the brain doesn't like it when the seesaw is tipped. So no matter which direction it's tipped in, our brain will work really hard to get it back to center. So whenever we get a boost of dopamine and we experience this pleasure, the brain will release other molecules to tip the seesaw back in the opposite direction towards pain. This is why we get this crash after we get a hit of dopamine. Um, and that's because the seesaw is being tipped back towards uh, the pain side of it. And the same is true when we experience pain. That's why runners get a runner's high after running for a while, and it actually is pretty painful. The body produces endorphins, which is a, a morphine-like painkiller that numbs the pain and is trying to tip the seesaw back towards the center. There are also individual differences in how sensitive we are to dopamine. Um, there are studies showing that introverts are more sensitive to dopamine than extroverts, for example. And introverts need less stimulation from the outside world to get the same dopamine response as extroverts. We talked about that in a bit more detail in a previous episode about the introvert hangover. And I'll leave a link in the description to that as well if you want to know more about it. If we get too many hits of dopamine for a long time, the brain will start removing parts of the brain cells that can sense dopamine to prevent the system from becoming overloaded. This is why we can become desensitized for dopamine. And the same thing that used to make us feel good doesn't make us feel good anymore. So this is where the tension between dopamine and things like motivation and discipline becomes so obvious. If you are finding yourself reaching for the chocolate chip cookies at 2 a.m. in the morning, or you're wondering why you just can't have one, but you have to eat the whole pack, there's nothing wrong with you. In most cases, this is perfectly normal behavior and your body's reward system is doing exactly what it's designed to do rewarding you for this good behavior, right? But what's seen as good by our brain's reward system for short-term survival isn't always the best for happiness. And this brings us to the other side of the question. What do we actually need to be happy? A lot of the time when we use the word happiness, we mean the opposite of sadness. We confuse short-term pleasure with long-term happiness. Short-term pleasure has more to do with your emotional state in that moment. Do you feel happy, sad, afraid, angry? These are emotional states and as important as they are, emotional states are incredibly fleeting. Any one of us can go through several emotions in one day. We can even have several emotions at the same time, right? When you chase happiness in that way, you won't be satisfied for long 
because these states aren't supposed to last very long. The way that the reward system works, if you imagine that seesaw with pleasure on one side and pain on the other side, and the brain constantly working to tip it back towards the center, that image in itself shows you that both pleasure and pain are temporary. This is where the term instant gratification comes in. Chasing quick boosts of dopamine, even when we know that that's not what's going to make us happy in the long run. What we really want is long-term happiness. But what does that mean? There is one study that has been running since 1983 that's been trying to understand just that. It's called the Harvard Happiness Study. Veritasium is a YouTube channel that has a great video about this if you want to dive into more details. I'll leave the link for you in the description. In this study, they've been following people for over 85 years now. Their spouses and children were later also included in the study and they asked these people the same questions every two years. The goal was to try to answer the question, what makes us happy? And this is what they found. Achievements and money do not make us happy. Doing fulfilling work can, but what really makes us happy are good physical health and good relationships. People who were healthy, exercised regularly, ate well, who didn't abuse alcohol or drugs, didn't smoke, and who had access to preventive health care were happier. Probably to no one's surprise. Another thing that they found that did surprise them was people with good relationships were also happier, healthier, and they lived longer too. So what are good relationships? It turns out that it doesn't matter how many people you interact with or whether you're married or not. But what does matter is how well connected you feel to the people that you do interact with. There are other studies uh, besides the Harvard Happiness Study that show this as well. Quality of the relationships matters. Do you have someone you can talk to? Someone you can laugh with? Someone you feel that you can depend on? When we talk to each other openly and we have a relationship where we feel safe and that we can trust the other person, it helps us to process our emotions. It helps us to release stress about what's going on in the world. And across these studies, that seemed to be the one thing that all these people had in common who lived happy, healthy, and long lives. In the video by Veritasium, they also touch on how this relates to introverts specifically. Although introverts typically have smaller social circles, that does not impact their happiness. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all need social interactions. And it's the quality, not the quantity of those interactions that makes the difference. Especially after COVID and with social media and now AI, we have less in-person connections and more online connections. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, except that our online connections are often more superficial. What we see online is that we often share only parts of our experiences. For example, we tend to share the highlights and less of the struggles. And although we're connected with more people than ever through social media, studies show that we're also lonelier because this is actually causing us to feel less connected to each other. Hanging out on social media can give those quick dopamine boosts that make us feel good in the moment, but it doesn't lay the foundation for the long-term happiness that we actually really want. 
We talked today about dopamine, the reward system, and how this relates to discipline, motivation, and happiness. Dopamine plays a big role in how we experience pleasure, but calling it the happy hormone is a bit misleading. Reality is much more nuanced, and the brain's reward system is less like a switch and more like a seesaw, with pain sitting on one side and pleasure on the other. And the brain is always working to bring that seesaw to center, which shows you that pain and pleasure are both really temporary. Don't confuse short-term pleasure with long-term happiness. Chasing short-term pleasure, instant gratification, and dopamine boosts, it doesn't lead to happiness long-term. Neither does money and achievements. What does lead to long-term happiness is good physical health and good relationships, especially feeling well-connected to the people that you do have a relationship, even if those are just a few people. Did this chapter clear up some things for you around dopamine and happiness? Maybe it brought up more questions for you. Let me know in the comments. Thank you for hanging out with me again, and let's talk again soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Productive Introvert Community Podcast. If you're an introverted entrepreneur and you're ready to thrive in your own way, then connect with me on thefrankermessage.com slash contact.